we dealt with the five songs that are mentioned. And uh, chapter 4, in a large part, describes John's, this is John's uh, second vision that he's had now, and uh, is describing what he sees in the, the first moments that he's in heaven. And most of what he sees is centered around the throne in chapters 4 and chapter 5. And so he describes the throne quite uh, vividly. Uh, He talks uh, about um, the voice that called him up. He talks about uh, the door uh, that uh, uh, is there and uh, how the door has been opened for him to be there. And uh, we find that a lot of the descriptions that John gives with regards to this uh, vision that he's having, uh, it very closely parallels uh, the same things that Ezekiel saw. Uh, Ezekiel and Revelation uh, are very closely tied together in a lot of ways, uh, as well as the book of Daniel, and uh, all of them prophetic books, all of them having some very close-knit, almost intermeshing prophecies that take place. And uh, the first part of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter number 1, and the early chapters of the book of Ezekiel, you'll find that he also had a vision. And as you read that, you'll find um, almost a mirror image, if you will, of the same description that John gives here in chapter number 4. As we get down to uh, verse number 7, uh, verse number 6 and 7, uh, we find that there are um, these, these living creatures uh, that are there. And uh, let's look in verse number, we'll start in verse number, uh, let's start in verse number 6, and uh, we'll read down from there. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast uh, was a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And as we finished up last week, we took you to Isaiah chapter number 6 and uh, showed the uh, vision that Isaiah had, seeing the Lord in his throne high and lifted up, and the cherubims that uh, would fly around the throne with six wings, uh, with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, And with two they flew, and their job was to do the same thing that these were doing in Revelation 3, that is to cry, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you will, hold your place in Revelation 4. Let's look at a real quick account in Ezekiel chapter number 1. Ezekiel chapter number 1, and we're going to begin in verse number 4. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 4. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came up, out, came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof was the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of the calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. And, their four, and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another and turned not uh, when they went when they uh, went out straight forward. For the likeness of their faces 
uh, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they four also had the face of an eagle. And so again, we see the same four faces that John refers to in John chapter number four. So uh, one of the you know people ask oftentimes, well, how do we know that the Bible is the word of God? Uh, we have an instance in the book of Isaiah that was written thousands of years, a couple of thousand years uh, at least, or a thousand years or so before the time of John, and the same description. Uh, we have Ezekiel writing. Uh, and again, very, very similar, very similar description of seeing the throne of God and the, the, the creatures, the beasts that are around it. And uh, that brings us back to Revelation 4. When John speaks of the four beasts, there are a couple of things that he includes in this that I want to just real quickly point out. Uh, it says in verse number uh, seven, uh, I'm sorry, verse number eight, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And uh, in uh, Ezekiel, it talks about their eyes being before and behind. So these beasts are able to see uh, all around. There's an idea there of uh, eyes that are all around them. Again, these things are, are uh, significant in the fact that it, it shows us the omniscience uh, the uh, the ability of God to see and to understand uh, everything all at once. Uh, it speaks about uh, in uh, chapter uh, uh, 1, and we also saw the seven spirits that were mentioned. We're going to see that again mentioned in chapter number 5. The seven spirits of God. And these are not individual spirits, but they refer to the Holy Spirit of God. But again, the idea of seven, the completeness of it, the fact that He is... Uh, fully aware of everything. And other passages in uh, Revelation that deal with the seven spirits of God uh, speak of the fact that they're in all the places of the earth. Uh, they go to all the, the corners of the earth. They're all different places. And uh, the omniscience, the omnipresence of God is uh, shown here, uh, I believe, and signified this uh, by these eyes. And so uh, we find this description, uh, first of all, of the throne. Then we see kind of a description of um, the things that are around it. And uh, I want us to look at, real quickly at the four creatures. And uh, there is a parallel given in Scripture, I think, uh, that helps to understand some of this. Uh, the first thing that is mentioned in verse number 6 is the one that uh, these four beasts, in the, verse number 7 it says, And the first beast was like a lion. This is an interesting thing. Uh, you're going to find that, that um, in, uh, here in just a little bit, um, Jesus is going to be announced. He's going to be announced by an elder. And he's going to be described two ways. He's going to be described, first of all, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the second one is he's going to be uh, recognized as the son of man. And uh, it's interesting to me that uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, is written primarily to show the uh, the royalty, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, his rightful role uh, to reign on the throne of David. Uh, <coughs> the emphasis given in Matthew is <coughs> that of uh, showing to the Jewish people the fact that he is the Messiah, the one that is to come. And over and over again throughout uh, the Old Testament, the idea of 
uh, the, the tribe of Judah being referred to as a lion, and that uh, David was going to come out of Judah, and that because of that, Christ was going to be of the seed of Judah uh, and the seed of David. And uh, so we find uh, these, uh, these interesting things that Matthew kind of uh, would, would parallel uh, this first creature, if you will. And then uh, the second one, it says in verse number 7, is like uh, a calf. Uh, the idea of a calf is a, a creature of service or servitude. Uh, the oxen the ca- that uh, Ezekiel described it as an ox, John describes it as a calf, uh, were for the labor, for the uh, benefit of man. Uh, they were serving uh, creatures. And uh, it's interesting that Mark uh, pictures Christ as a servant. Uh, there are many, many verses. In fact, most, I think, of the verses of Mark begin with the conjunction and, uh, showing that God is, that Christ was constantly doing things. He was always moving on. This happened and this happened, and then and this happened, and continuously showing his heart of a servant. And uh, the idea that he was selflessly giving himself uh, for the sins of man. And then we find the third beast here in verse number 7 is like unto the face uh, of a man. And Luke strongly portrays Jesus as the Son of Man. Uh, In fact, it's interesting that Christ himself uses this title, Son of Man, more than any other thing to refer to himself. If you go and read all of the things that Jesus called himself, the Son of Man is the one that is... Uh, vastly used more so than any other title or any other description of himself. And Luke portrays strongly Jesus as the Son of Man. And then we find John uh, in verse number 7. It speaks here of the fourth beast like a flying eagle. And John's uh, gospel presents Jesus as the Son of God uh, and the idea of this, uh, the majesty of uh, the eagle, the idea of him being royalty, uh, not just the Son of Man, but also the Son of God. And uh, such a, a wonderful picture there. And again, there's a, a very close parallel, I think, that could be drawn between those. Uh, not necessarily something that God says intentionally, here's what I've done to help understand these things. But it's interesting that each of the four Gospels portrays Christ in a different way. And we find this uh, these these four beasts that are... Uh, I think indicative here in showing um, all of uh, some of the attributes and some of the roles that Christ plays there, uh, and their their appearance, I believe, pictures uh, a lot the the working of the Lord Jesus Christ, his his position, his role in uh, in uh, redemption. Uh, then we find as we get through these uh, four beasts, <coughs> the Bible says in verse number. Uh, Uh, Verse number 10, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And so again, he kind of wraps up here, uh, chapter 4, with giving the, the, just kind of a bird's eye view of what he's seeing, kind of the setting, the scene, if you will for the events that are getting ready to happen in chapter number 5. It's interesting that he ends uh, this, uh, this part of his dialogue before he moves into the next section of what he's going to say by concluding, after all of this, that he's seen God and he's seen these beasts around the throne, he concludes with saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. It's very, very important to note this, that there is only one who is worthy 
to judge the world for its sin. There's nobody on earth that can judge men for their sin because we've all sinned. Only God is the one that has the ability, has the worthiness to be able to do such a thing. And as we get into verse number five, chapter number 5, we're going to see some very, I think, some very exciting things here. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside and sealed, or sealed with seven seals. There's a lot to be said about verse number 1. And the idea of the right hand in Scripture always signifies authority or strength. Um, you can find over and over again God referencing, even in the Psalms you'll find a lot of times David referencing the right hand of God as his strength or his authority, uh, his power in referencing those things. Again, coming to this idea that only God, who has this book that is sealed with seven seals, and we're going to see that these are the beginnings of the judgments of the sins of men on the earth. And, uh, and He alone is the one that has that authority and has that right. <clears throat> I was uh, talking with some young people a number of years ago and uh, talking to them about living right and doing right and giving their life as a sacrifice to the, a living sacrifice to the Lord and uh, surrendering to do God's will. And uh, one of them says, well, I just feel like God is a bunch of rules. And what right does He have to tell me how to live? <laughs> and I thought... God has every right. He has every right. He has authority. Number one, because He he made us. And He's the one that created us. So that alone gives Him authority. That alone gives Him the right to deal with this as He would see fit. He's the one that created us. And then He's the one that died for us and redeemed us from our sin and bought us with a price. He already had ownership. But we took ourselves and gave ourselves to sin, and he, he went so far to, to double uh, on us, again, I guess if you could word it that way, by redeeming us, buying us back uh, from the, uh, the law of sin and death and, and, and redeeming our soul. And so for that, that reason alone, he ought to have authority. And then the third reason why not only did he create us, not only did he buy us, but thirdly, he's God. He has all authority. In fact, Jesus, when he stands at the, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, mountain, when he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven, he's getting ready to give this wonderful, great commission uh, to the disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse number 18, which is a verse we don't normally read with the great commission, he says, all power is given unto me. He didn't have that before Calvary. He, he had laid that authority aside willingly. He chose to do that. Philippians chapter number 2, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. But when he came back, it's interesting to me, the Bible says that uh, he humbled himself and became obedient. He says, wherefore, uh, God also hath highly exalted him. After he had humbled himself, became obedient unto death, was made in the form of a servant. Because of this humility that he went through willingly, God exalts him and gives him a place of authority. And uh, so this idea of this book being held in the right hand, I think, is very significant here. That God is showing to John, this book's getting ready to be opened, and, and I've got the authority, I've got the right to the things that are written in this book. And he says in verse number 1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside. I think that's rather interesting. I was reading a, a note that Brother Tully wrote on this verse, and he made a statement about this. Uh, last night in our class that I think was just kind of tied in with this. 
um, there, there were scrolls that were written, and then there were what were called codex books that were written. And a scroll, of course, would be something that would be rolled on a, on a rod or on a thing. A codex was an actually bound book. It had leaves like what we hold in our hands, had left and right pages. And the idea that uh, verse 1 speaks of it being written on the front and on the back uh, side of the book, it gives the idea that this was more than likely a scroll uh, that was there. And uh, then he says this, sealed with seven seals. Now, these seals are getting ready to be opened, each one of them a judgment, and in the seventh seal, additional judgments inside of it. And we get to verse number two. I want you to see what is said here. And I saw a what? A strong angel. All right? Understand this, that in heaven, uh, there is a hierarchy of angels. Uh, I don't understand fully all of them, (coughs) but I do know that there are some angels that are mightier than others. Uh, You go to the book of Daniel, and Daniel prayed to God and asked God for 21 days in sackcloth and ashes for an answer to, or uh, for an interpretation to uh, a vision that he had had, to understand the vision. And for 21 days he prays and doesn't eat meat, he fasts. And uh, the angel comes to him, and finally after 21 days gives him the interpretation of the dream. And the angel told Daniel, he said, I was set out on the first day of your supplication. They said, the prince of Persia withstood me one in 20 days, and I had to have Michael come so that I could overcome him and come to you and and give you this this answer from the Lord. Uh, These angels have different levels of strength, different levels of power. And we find here in verse number 2 that this is not just one of the lower level, less powerful angels. But this is one of the strong ones. Uh, The Bible even speaks of this. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Now, this is very, very sad. It says no man was able to, in heaven or in earth, or anywhere around, even under the earth, to open this book and to look thereon. And I want you to notice what John's response was to this. Verse number one, or verse number four, it says, And I wept much. I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open, the book, uh, to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold... The Lion of the tribe of Judah. I think I said Son of Man was the other title. It was Root of David. I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong title there. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, uh, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. Only the Lord Jesus Christ was worthy to open those seals. No man in heaven, no man in earth, no man under the earth could do such a thing. I would say this, not even the strong angels. When the question was asked, no one in the entire universe was willing to step forward and say, I'm able to, or I'm willing to, or I'm worthy to. Because all of all of them realized that none of them were. This is an incredible truth that we find when 
we come to a place of trusting Christ as our Savior. We must get to a place where we understand that we are not worthy of salvation. We can't. We have no strength in and of ourselves. We have no goodness, no bearing in us that would cause us to stand before God and say, God, you deserve, I deserve this and you owe this to me because of my, my righteousness or my goodness. And John weeps much because no one was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And the elder comforts him, and he says, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah uh, hath prevailed. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. <clears throat> there are... There are these two names that are mentioned here, and I want us to look in Isaiah, hold your place here for a minute, look in Isaiah chapter number 11, and I want us to look at this idea that the line of the tribe of Judah is seen throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, uh, the idea of Judah being a, uh, referred to as a lion, that tribe specifically. But look with me in Isaiah chapter number 11, and I want us to look at this root of David idea. Uh, again, Isaiah chapter number 7. I'm sorry, did I say chapter 7? I meant chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, the Spirit of counsel, might, uh, and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and of, fear, of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor. And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. The righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins. the faith And faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, uh, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. Then shall not hurt nor destroy, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be, again, here's the, the title here, there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign uh, of the people. And it shall uh, and uh, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And so Isaiah is giving the idea that Jesus is this root of David, if you will. Uh, Isaiah refers to him as the root of Jesse. Uh, of course, David being uh, Jesse's youngest son who was made king of Israel. And uh, it's interesting to me that in verse number... And the, the thing I want you to see here is in verse number 3 and 4. And uh, the Bible says, "...and shall make him of uh, quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness." He's going to judge with righteousness. And he's going to reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And here we see in verse number 4 that he is going to be the defender of those 
that uh, are his children, those that are his friends, those that, he's, that have trusted him as their Savior. But he is going to be a destroyer of his enemies. And he has every authority and every right to do so. Because he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this elder comes and he says, uh, don't cry, John, don't weep. There is one that has prevailed. There is one that is able. And notice what is said as we get down uh, to verse number 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, capital L, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. We're going to look at that new song next week when we come back, but I want to share a few things about these verses here that we just read. Jesus here is referred to as the Lamb that had prevailed. Notice the description that's given of him here. When the Bible says in verse number 6, And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of four and twenty beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Notice this, as it had been slain. I think those are very, very crucial words. When John saw this, this Christ, when he saw the lamb, he could tell that he had been slain because he bore the marks of the sacrifice. Somebody's asked me before, do you think that Christ will still have those marks in heaven? I do believe so. I believe John sees them. Refers to him as a lamb that had been slain. Why would he describe him such had there not been marks showing the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ? John the Baptist, another John in Scripture, was baptizing in the Jordan River one day, and Jesus came walking towards him, and as he lifted up his eyes and saw him coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Over and over again in Scripture, we find Jesus referred to as a Lamb. A Lamb that was slain. John saw these beasts, and the elder comes to him, and he says, I don't want you to cry, because the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the seed of David, has prevailed. And John looked to see the lion, and what he saw was the lamb. He said, which one is he? Both. He's the conquering one, the one that holds the keys to death and hell. He's the one that was victorious on that resurrection day. The one that came out of the grave and said, O grave, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Oh, my, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We sit here tonight, we read things like this in Revelation. We realize that the Lord Jesus Christ has done so much. He has full authority. God is not in a struggle with Satan. Satan is struggling with God. But God is fully in control. And sometimes we may get in our minds that there's this great battle going on between the forces of good and the forces of evil. That's not so. Satan may be battling God, but God isn't even giving him a thought until the time of judgment. Because all God has to do is speak. 
Isaiah said he's going to judge them with the voice of his mouth. She's going to speak. And John looks up here and he sees this lamb, and I love this phrase, as it had been slain. He has seven horns in verse 6, and that refers to his authority. Again, every time you see horns in prophecy, it refers to the kingly authority, the rightful heir to the throne. Uh, the idea of uh, the, uh, that Christ has the authority uh, to pronounce these judgments. And then it says the seven eyes, again a reference to this, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth, or into all the earth. And again, the idea that the Spirit of God is everywhere. By the way, David spoke of that in, in Psalms, didn't he? He said, if I ascend up to the heavens, thou art there. He said, if I make my bed in hell, uh, behold, thou art there. He said, if I go to the uttermost parts of the earth, behold, thou art there. Why? Because this Holy Spirit of God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's able to see everything. He's able to know everything. By the way, uh, one of the biggest problems we have with committing sin is the fact that we don't realize God sees it. Let me rephrase that. We realize it. We just don't think about it. We, we try to think, well, if I can keep this from other people seeing it, not realizing God, God sees it all. He's in, he's, these seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. He sees everything. There's nothing hid from Him. And he came and took the book out of the right hand that sat on the throne. And this I find interesting because we see the opening of the throne room with these, these creatures that are crying, Holy, 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 Lord, uh, Lord God Almighty. And he, they're, they're, they're circling the throne and they're, they're paying obeisance and they're giving praise to what we would refer to as God the Father. And then there's this lamb that comes and takes this book out of his hand. Notice it says here in verse number 8, And the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. These are the four and twenty elders that are around the throne of God, that are praising Him for eternity. Their, their entire, their entire uh, effort in heaven is spent to bring pray, bring, bringing praise to God. These four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors. And the four beasts also, uh, it said in there in the first part of it, uh, of chapter, uh, verse number 8, uh, were also one of those that, that bowed down before Him. Having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. So these four and twenty elders are representative of all those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. All those Christians. And they hold in their hands the prayers of the saints before the throne of God. The Bible says in verse number 9, they sung a new song. And we'll talk about that song next week. Uh, what a scene. What a scene. The Lamb that is slain from the foundation of the earth. The, world, the one that bears the marks in His body. The one that is worthy out of all of heaven. Not even the strongest of angels were worthy. But Christ was. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the son of the seed of David, had prevailed to not only hold the book, but to open the seals and to read it and to look upon it. And uh, I, the exciting things are yet to come. There's some sadness as we read through the book of Revelation because we see the judgment of those that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. Our hearts break for them when we read through these things, but it helps us to understand a little bit the, the mighty power of God 
His worthiness, His authority, unless we say, well, God is, a, uh, is, is uh, being unmerciful or ungracious, God has been so merciful and so gracious. And if these folks go through this judgment, it's because they have willingly chosen to not be saved. They've willingly chosen to not trust Christ as their Savior. God has given them every opportunity. And the Bible tells us that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And when we read things like this in the book of Revelation, I hope we are able to be encouraged in our hearts at just how much God has done for the redemption of man. And by the time man is judged in this book by God, they have well, well deserved it. Not only because they've sinned against Him, but because of their rejection of Him time and time and time again. How often the Holy Spirit of God has pricked their hearts, have given them an idea of the things that they needed to get right and to trust them as their Savior, and they would not. They refused. The Bible calls them willingly ignorant. They said, we don't want to have any part of it. We, have, we live in a world today where people don't want to hear. You come up and try to knock on a door today like you did 50, 60 years ago to visit somebody. Most people say, I don't want any. I don't, want any. I don't even want to talk to you. What are they doing? They're rejecting it. They're rejecting it. And uh, I, love, I love reading these things. Uh, the Lamb has prevailed. I'm thankful that we know the end of the story. And uh, prophecy has been given to us to bring great comfort to us. And also, I think, to convict us and show us that if we're going to do something for the Lord, we need to do it. We need to do it right away. Because time is short. You say, Pastor, what if, what if God doesn't come back for another hundred years yet and we all die? Time is still short. Time is still short. Our life is a vapor. So what are we doing for Christ? What are we doing for Him this week? There are people that need to hear the gospel. Some of them in close proximity to us. Some of them are acquaintances. Some of them people will bump into this week. They need to hear the gospel. And want to encourage us in that. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And we'll begin uh, the dealing with the song next week. And looking forward to that lesson. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for uh, Your Word. I'm thankful that You've given us some insight into what's ahead. The things that are yet to come. But, Father, may we not just tuck these away in the file cabinet of our minds, but that they would sink into our hearts and help us to live with eternity in view. Father, when we look at things like Your Holy Spirit, uh, who has eyes everywhere and sees everything, Father, I pray that You would help us to live with a life that is pleasing to You. May we live in such a way that 